Hey, what's up everyone? Henry here at Disruptive Money Management. Today, we're going to be talking about the most critical things you need to do right now to protect yourself and your family. The most often talked about part of the path to financial wellness is saving and investing for growth. However, less often talked about, but just as equally important, are the measures that ought to be taken in order to secure against unforeseen circumstances while we are working on building towards that goal. I know this is a morbid topic, but mortality is inevitable. And so I ask you this one question. If something dire happens to you tomorrow, are your financial affairs in order and is your family protected? If your answer is no, or you are unsure, unsure, then listen on for my top five things you need to do today to change that. My duty as a financial advisor is to constantly be thinking ahead, right? So when someone in their 30s is coming to me for guidance and as I'm getting to know them in our initial meeting, I'm already thinking ahead into their 40s, their 50s, and I'm trying to assess what needs to be addressed, right? So I'm constantly projecting forward. The same thing goes for someone that is coming to me who's close to retirement in their 50s and in their 60s. I'm assessing their current situation right now, but more importantly, I'm envisioning their needs and their worst case scenarios when they're turning 80 and when they're turning 90. It's, it's constantly projecting forward. Now, most of you will probably be surprised or maybe you're not surprised if you haven't thought about it yourself, but about eight out of the 10 people who walk through my office are unprepared for unforeseen circumstances. And listen, I get it. The mass majority of us are working 40, 50, even 60 hours a week, maybe more. The majority of us are already stressed enough about our daily lives. We're trying to balance out work and home. And when the weekend comes, we're ready to just hit the brakes, hit the snooze and, and zone out so that we can reset for that upcoming week. You know, the last thing we wanted to be doing is, is sitting down and sorting through our financial affairs. Now, the important things that need to be done, they oftentimes get pushed back to next week because there's always going to be next week. But herein lies the problem. Next week becomes next month, and next month becomes next year. We blink, and all of a sudden, we're celebrating the coming of a new decade. So I implore you to break the cycle and get these top five items knocked out of the way. Your life is important. Your family's well-being is important. So let's not put that hard work of saving and growing your nest egg in jeopardy. Now, I should state that I am not an estate planning attorney, nor can I give legal advice, right? Fair warning. But through my work, I have been able to joyously celebrate hundreds of clients retiring with sound financial planning. Unfortunately, and also with great heartache, I have also seen a multitude of clients pass. Preparedness is critical. So here are the top five things you need to do right now in order to protect yourself and your family from unforeseen circumstances. Number one, protecting your family through life insurance. We often think of life insurance as a scam, or it's just flushing money down the drain. Some of us may think of life insurance as an asset, 
Well, I'm here to tell you that life insurance is not an asset. It's just an expense. It's an expense that I carry while I'm building my financial nest egg to offset my unexpected death. As a husband and a father, I have a duty to my family to care for their financial well-being through the good times, the bad times, and when I'm no longer here. And that, I use life insurance. It's just a tool, and quite frankly, so should you. Now, I'm not going to be talking about expensive cash value life insurance like whole life or equity life. I'm just talking about straight up raw term life. And the reason why is because it's super low cost and extremely easy to maintain. How much life insurance you need depends on your situation. If you're young and you're single or you don't have any dependents, quite frankly, you probably don't need any. Now, if you're like me, you're married, you have dependents, then the rule of thumb is to have enough to cover outstanding debt and possibly provide for lost income. For example, if something was to happen to me and I pass, I want to make sure that my wife and son are covered from any outstanding debt. Namely, that's the home mortgage. I want to make sure that they can pay off the house completely because really, housing is one of the biggest monthly expenses that we endure as Americans, followed by healthcare costs. So what you want to do is calculate any and all joint debt that's held of your spouse. As I said, this would be your mortgage. It would be any joint credit cards, joint auto loans, privatized student loans that are secured by two individuals, home equity loans and lines if you have it, things of that nature, right? At the very least, that is what your policy coverage should be. Debt held individually like student loans taken when you're single or single holder credit cards, they don't need to be added to this equation. Debt that is held by you and you only are forfeited. These typically will not pass as a burden to your spouse. The next consideration is a loss of income, or otherwise known as income replacement. If your financial situation is that one works and the other is at a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, you'll want to make sure that your surviving spouse will have assets they can use to continue on their lives. Now, you may not need to insure for complete income replacement because that can get pretty expensive but at least enough until they can grieve and get back on their feet. If you yourself are the primary breadwinner, you may want to ensure that they have enough of a lump sum to maintain a semblance of an income. How much would that be? Well, the rule I use is between three to three and a half percent withdrawal based on the principal. Back in the early 2000s, a lot of financial advisors would suggest using a 4% withdrawal rule, but with life expectancy as high as they are today, we're seeing that a 4% withdrawal could negatively deplete principal too quickly. So based on that rule above, for every 1 million you have, you can expect about 30 to 35,000 a year in income. Now, just FYI, I'm, I'm going to be having another in-depth episode that's going to be released more in detail about life insurance, such as calculating coverage, how to buy insurance, what to expect when buying insurance, and I'm also going to go into pros and cons of straight up term versus cash value policies. So keep an eye out on that, okay? But going back to um, life insurance, how much you need, again, outstanding debt plus an additional if you 
intent on trying to drive an income. Number two, number two most important things that you need to do right now, naming your power of attorneys. When it comes to financial matters, just being married isn't enough. Sure, my wife can access our joint bank accounts, but she can't access anything that is held in my name only. Real estate property that is obtained prior to marriage or a vehicle that is only under my name, they're all restricted. Investment accounts such as IRAs or 401ks, these are all individually owned. Individual brokerage accounts, they're all the same and they're all blocked from spousal access. These type of restrictions can be mentally challenging and an unnecessary stressor if you are incapacitated in a hospital or you are in a foreign country and access is needed immediately. Now, please note that POAs are only for when you are alive and unable to conduct business, all right? So POAs expire upon death, okay? That's a very critical point there. So again, POAs given to others allow for them to transact on your behalf if you are unable to do so while alive. Terminally ill is still alive. Mentally incapacitated while in a coma is still alive. POAs can be extended to others. So it's important that even if you're single or unmarried, that you have a power of attorney structured so that a trusted person can execute on your behalf. This could be your parent, your sibling, your children, or even a trusted friend. I very often meet single individuals who don't feel the need to have a power of attorney because they are not married. That is not true. Prepare yourself by providing the POA privileges to someone you trust. And as your relationship status changes, you can also modify it to include a future spouse. POAs come in two forms, general durable and healthcare. You need both because one does not give authorization on the other. General durable is the ability for someone to transact on your behalf for financial matters. These are things like accessing an account that is in your name only, signing on the purchase or sale of real estate, or even filing your taxes. The healthcare power of attorney relates to healthcare directives only. To be able to speak with your physician on your health matters or to make decisions related to your health, this is what a healthcare power of attorney is for. Now, I started this segment by prefacing that these are things you need to do now to protect yourself. But when it comes to power of attorneys, I urge you to have this conversation with your parents, especially so if you have aging parents. Make sure they have these documents in order, naming each other or perhaps even naming you so that if something happens to them, you're not stuck waiting around for information and being left unable to act. Number three, checking to make sure your beneficiaries are correct. Updating your beneficiaries is an extremely important thing to do that can oftentimes be forgotten due to the hustle and bustle of daily life. Very early on in my career, I had met with Maria, who had come in asking for her guidance. Her 40-year-old husband, Mark, had passed recently in a T-bone car accident. There were no goodbyes, and there were no last-minute chances to say I love you. The two were very happily married, with their lives ahead of them raising two beautiful children, both of whom were under age four at the time. Maria was trying to get her household financial affairs in order while grieving and caring for her two children. And watching her, I knew this was not an easy ordeal. 
The matters turned for the worse when we found that Mark's 401k at his place of employment did not list Maria as the beneficiary. The retirement account where the bulk of Mark's life savings had been had listed his ex-wife, whom he had married out of college. That marriage lasted less than two years before they separated and went on different paths. For years, Mark had just forgotten about updating the beneficiary. And when the topic about finances came up years later, when he remarried, it was just a matter of updating each other on the account balances and where they were at. That decision ultimately could not be refuted. A listed beneficiary, regardless of whether it's an ex or someone who is no longer in the individual's life, could not be contested. Not a single penny of Mark's hard-earned savings went to Maria or their children. My experience with Maria reminded me that ultimately, it is up to us to protect our house. Changes in your life will happen, and your life will be made better or worse, but there isn't going to be someone out there reminding you to make these changes. Mark didn't mean to not update his beneficiaries. He just thought he had more time, right? He just thought he had more time to get around to taking care of it. And I'm here to remind you that regardless of how much time we think we have, if we don't get around to doing it when the time comes, there just isn't going to be enough. Beneficiaries come in both primary and contingent. Primary is whom it goes to first, and contingent are for the people that it goes to in the event the primary beneficiaries uh, are also no longer around. So check all of your accounts, your IRAs, your 401ks, make sure they have a list of beneficiary. Most states is legally um, for your spouse, right? And if it's not for your spouse, you have to have your spouse sign off before you can name someone else. So make sure that it's very important you update your beneficiaries with your primaries and your contingents in the event something happens to your primary, okay? Number four, updating your bank accounts to joint or add a on-death clause. If you're married or you're together with a life partner, the easiest way to update your bank accounts are to create it so that they're joint, right? This is one of the easiest thing to do and it provides each other with access without any complications. Now, I'm not going to get into how you run your banking setup because every household is unique. Some couples just like having deposits going to one household account and all expenses coming out, right? Simple, easy, clean cut. Others, on the other hand, they prefer separate accounts because that's how they've had it for many years. And, and the trouble of updating all the deposits and the withdrawals is, is too much. I get it. Regardless of how you want to structure your accounts, I strongly urge that you place a POD or a TOD destination on those accounts. That stands for payable on def or transfer on def. Each bank uses them interchangeably, but they both stand for the same thing. A POD, TOD basically lets a bank know who the bank accounts are going to go to upon your passing. Without a POD or TOD, and if the assets exceed the state's maximum allowance for probate, your beneficiaries will need to go through the court system to have assets transferred. Believe me when I tell you that probate is a pain in the ass. 
I've been there and I've represented clients through the process. Our legal system is torturous. Save your family and loved ones the headache and take this simple step. The process is pretty straightforward and easily done inside a physical branch. The bank simply asks for the name and majority of known relevant information of your beneficiary. With a POD TOD added onto your account, in the event of your passing, your beneficiary just needs a death certificate and their ID to establish access. It's easy to remember the investment accounts and other items of high value, but I know of so many families who maintain a high level of cash in their checking or savings accounts. So take this simple process to protect access to your family. Again, POD, TOD, depends on the bank, gives your beneficiary access upon your passing. Number five, creating a will. I often get a lot of questions regarding the confusion of the will. Most people stand to think that the will is an instrument that acts as a catch-all, that the will would automatically supersede all other documents. The will is critical, but a will would not override other implementations, such as the beneficiary designation. Going back to Mark's situation from above, even if Mark successfully named Maria as the beneficiary on his will, because his ex-wife was actually listed on the account itself as a direct beneficiary, the will would have no power over changing that. By all means, use the will for the vintage car, for the valuable coin collection, or for the jewelry, but expect to use all the other above tools that we mentioned previously for financial accounts. The will is a legally binding document that you create. And there are templates for these, by the way, that names an executor to close out your estate. Wills generally don't require notarization, but the creator typically needs to be witnessed upon signing to ensure the validity of the will. Upon your passing, the executor would take the will to the local courthouse so that they can be appointed as the executor. Only with the court-appointed documents and the death certificate can the executor establish access to the accounts. Please note that key word, court-appointed documents. These things take time, which is why I recommend not using the will as the only instrument for financial matters. Common items to include on the will are tangible assets like what I mentioned previously. Personally, I much prefer individuals to use a beneficiary deed for real estate property instead. A beneficiary deed acts similarly to the POD-TOD, but is for real estate, and is generally filed with the county recorder's office in which the property is located. The beneficiary deed is a very easy way to ensure that your real estate property gets transferred to the right individuals upon your passing. All right, so I listed the five most important things you need to do in order to get your financial house in order. But I'm going to throw out one more, which is optional, and that is the trust. Nine out of ten times I talk about this topic, I get asked whether or not a trust is needed. And my answer is always the same. It depends. It depends on how complicated your estate planning needs are and how much control you really want from the grave. If at the end of your life, you just want assets dispersed to the beneficiaries, and your only concern is that it goes to the right hands, then the answer is no. 
you do not need to spend thousands of dollars for a trust. If you've correctly executed the above five items, then you're done. Congrats. Enjoy the rest of your life without worrying about unforeseen circumstances. Update frequently if you need to. However, if you want to establish conditional procedures for access to the estate, then you'll want to consider a trust. I'll give you an example. I have a retired dentist who is married and has three boys, one of which is from a previous marriage. His estate planning is designed so that upon his passing, his wife will receive income from his investment portfolio. So in this case, she does not inherit the assets outright, nor does she have access to the entire cash available, but rather, she only receives the income the portfolio can generate for the remainder of her lifetime. After her passing, however, the three remaining boys will then equally share the remaining estate, the real estate property and the remainder of the investment assets. I call this control from the grave because the limitations must be followed to a T. There is no bypassing of this legal instrument. In the case of the dentist, he created his trust in a way so that his wife gets taken care of financially. But also of importance is ensuring that all three of his children equally receive the remainder. If he did not create the trust and just utilize a beneficiary process, the entire proceeds will go directly to his wife. And at that point, it would be completely at her discretion on how the remainder of the assets should be distributed upon her passing. What's important to note are that trusts come in two flavors revocable or irrevocable. If you create a revocable trust, it means that you as a creator of the trust can later amend the trust. This is important. You can change your mind about your wishes and make modifications as life goes on. Upon your passing, the revocable trust automatically becomes an irrevocable trust, meaning that the provisions cannot be modified any further after your passing. The irrevocable trust does not allow for any changes once executed. That means when you sign and execute the trust, that is it. There's nothing that can be done if you later change your mind. Technically speaking, assets transferred into an irrevocable trust no longer belongs to you, so it thereby falls from your estate. That is beneficial in the sense that any assets in that trust are protected in the event of lawsuits. If someone gets injured on your property and sues you, well, they won't get access to any of the items you previously placed in that irrevocable trust. The irrevocable trust also reduces your estate tax if you have assets higher than the exclusion amount. This is important because if you're leaving behind an estate in excess of the exclusion amount, that amount is subject to an eye-watering 40% upper tax rate. Finally, the irrevocable trust could allow you to become eligible for government aid. If you believe a trust is something you need, you'll want to work with an estate planning attorney in helping you establish that document. A good trust attorney will also take care of all the other outstanding documents like the power of attorneys and the living wills. So just to recap, the five things you need to protect your family are utilizing life insurance to cover outstanding debt, naming your power of attorneys, updating your beneficiaries on all financial accounts, 
Adding a POD or TOD designation to your bank accounts, creating a will, and establishing a beneficiary deed for real estate assets, and lastly but optionally, the creation of a trust. All right, guys, there you have it. Whew. I know I threw a lot at you, but remember, time is fleeting and tomorrow is never a guarantee. Until next time, I wish you all the best. Stay safe, stay healthy, and protect your house. The podcast reflects the opinions of the hosts. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of a security. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be the basis of any investment decision. Securities are offered through United Planners Financial Services, a member of FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice is offered through Juncture Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Juncture Wealth Advisors, LLC and United Planners are not affiliated.